Tonight, David Suzuki, eco-terrorism, and how there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. And then Drea Humphrey joins me to talk about the flooding in British Columbia and the climate hysteria attached to that. It's November 23rd, 2021. I'm Sheila gunn but you are watching The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know, I think the COVID emergency might be over because the far left has gone back to their old, reliable hysteria the climate emergency, and they're so emotional, so out of control, that they're threatening violence. But this isn't the first time, and it definitely won't be the last. In fact, violence at the hands of the peaceniks and the hippies, well, it's been around as long as there have been peaceniks and hippies. The environmentalist movement, in fact, is full of murderers. From Ira Einhorn, the founder of Earth Day, who composted his girlfriend, to cult leader Charles Manson, who had an acronym, ATWA, Air, Trees, Water, Animals, All the Way Alive, as core to his central personal philosophy, to the maniacs at the Weather Underground and their bombings in the 1970s in the United States. Just look at this from the FBI. The Weather Underground stepped forward, inspired by communist ideologies and embracing violence and crime as a way to protest the Vietnam War, racism, and other left-wing aims. I wonder what those could be. Our intention is to disrupt the empire, to incapacitate it, to put pressure on the cracks, claimed the group's 1974 manifesto, Prairie Fire. By the next year, the group had claimed credit for 25 bombings, including the U.S. Capitol, the Pentagon, the California Attorney General's Office, and a New York City police station. But friends, this is how it has always been. Radical environmentalists see humanity as some sort of plague beset upon the earth to be destroyed instead of the crowning creation of God to add to his earth, to complete the earth, man, then woman. Here, though, is the abominable creation of the CBC, Dr. David Suzuki, who is a fruit fly geneticist, and not a climate scientist by any means, talking to reporters at an Extinction Rebellion protest on Vancouver Island. Listen to this. In deep, deep doo-doo. And they've been telling us, the leading experts, for over 40 years. This is what we're come to. The next stage after this is there are going to be pipelines blown up if our leaders don't pay attention to what's going on. The next stage after this is there are going to be pipelines blown up. Now that's madness, threatening bombings, but it's also not far-fetched, and I'll get to that in a second. But first, here is Alberta Environment Minister Jason Nixon absolutely laying waste to Suzuki in the legislature on Monday afternoon. Take a listen. David Suzuki is so out of touch with the real world that he advocates Mr. Spico for eco-terrorism towards Canadian people and industries. This is completely unacceptable and extremely reckless. The NDP, Mr. Speaker, sadly have a long history of collaborating with David Suzuki, and their silence on, this outra on his outrageous comments make them complicit with calls for eco-terrorism towards Albertans and Canadians. 
And in case you think that a bombing as eco-terrorism is just so outrageous that it could never, never possibly happen in real life, at least here in Alberta where I am, and that Suzuki was just using hyperbole, well, let me refer you to the story of Weibo Ludwig. The story itself is surrounded by controversy, but Weibo Ludwig was a reformed religious leader. Some might call him a cult leader in the peace country in Alberta around the late 1980s and 1990s. He was the patriarch of Trickle Creek Compound, who accused the oil industry of poisoning his family, um, poisoning his livestock, causing stillbirths in his family and his livestock, and ultimately he was convicted of several crimes. Again, that came with a lot of controversy around how those convictions came to be. But Ludwig was held responsible for bombings and vandalisms of oil field sites in and around Hythe, Alberta, and the rest of the peace country. Now, whether or not you think Weibo Ludwig did it or that he was framed, the point remains that he was convicted and moreover, that the vandalism and bombings happened. The eco-terrorism bombings happened here in Alberta. So it's not some far-fetched conspiracy theory that this violence that Suzuki's threatening, that it might happen again. It has happened and for many of us, like me, old enough to remember we were scared for our brothers and for our dads when they went away to work. And that fear lasted for a very long time. Violence along with death and incarceration for unbelievers though, these are mantras the radical left recycles to suit whatever crisis they have right in front of them. The crisis that they plan to capitalize on to use to control your life, how you live it, how you manage your home, who your friends are and how often you see them. For example, if you think that letting people die of COVID without care or treatment, if they decided to go unvaxxed, if they didn't, you know, follow the radical left's centralized government control plan for your health, if you think that's new, it's not. It's exactly what the environmental left has wanted to do to you for decades around climate change. They say the earth needs fewer people, as though these people even know how many other people the earth can support. But they don't actually mean fewer of the people who think just like them. They mean fewer of us, of me and you, the unnecessary eaters and breeders and consumers of the things they think should be exclusively reserved for their use. So for example, if we need medical help, Maybe, unfortunately, we already used up all of our carbon ration and so there's no help allotted to us. And that concept of locking up people with wrong think, wrong opinions on COVID, you know, the people who just won't get vaccinated or won't quarantine or stay away from their own family, it's very familiar. Here's David Suzuki himself a couple of times suggesting that, just that, that unbelievers in his climate religion should be jailed. You see, he wants a climate theocracy. He just doesn't want to admit it. Listen to this. We met a big party of people and the women were all dressed in high heels and dresses and the men in suits and ties. And I, I said, this is not a camping party. Uh, but you know, anybody on the trail you talk to. And so very quickly, uh, I realized, holy smokes, this is the CEO of Fletcher Challenge. And very quickly he realized, Oh my God, this is that troublemaker, David Suzuki. Thank and you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> so we got into, uh, let's say, a heated discussion. And finally, he said in frustration, listen, Suzuki, 
are tree huggers like you willing to pay to protect those trees? Because if you're not willing to pay for them, they don't have any value to someone cuts them down. And that was a big insight for me because I realized, holy cow, you know, he, it's, he's absolutely right. In, in, in his world, he could get, tell me how many jobs will come, how many board feet of lumber, how many cubic meters of, of pulp, uh, how much profit can be made out of there. And what do I do? If I'm arguing in his frame and say, well, gee, you, every year we can pick a few berries and uh, there are some salel bushes that we could use for flower arrangement and maybe, uh, maybe we could find a cure for cancer. Like, we have no chance against that argument if we stay within an economic frame. I believe what's going on now is criminal, our, our activity, because it's a crime against future generations. And there ought to be a legal position of intergenerational crime. And I think there's criminal negligence. And what is the environmental war on reliable and comfortable CO2 emitting cars and trucks, if not a war on where you can go and just how far you can get from your own house? You know, that sounds familiar. Almost like a law that prevents you from visiting one province or going too far for non-essential travel to combat COVID. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same thing, different packaging. There's nothing new under the sun. The radical left wants to control you. Some might even want you dead. But as Michael Malice says, they will settle for your compliance. And they never let a good crisis go to waste. Joining us tonight is Drea Humphrey to bring us a report on the flooding situation in her home province of British Columbia and more up next after the break. It didn't take very long for the climate activists to pin the floods in British Columbia on their nemesis, climate change, and blame you at home for traveling around in your comfortable, reliable SUV for the damage to BC's communities. Joining me now to discuss all of this and her work to debunk the thesis of the environmentalists is Drea Humphrey, our BC-based reporter. Drea, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I know that you immediately went searching for answers to tell the other side of the story when it started coming out that this is just what BC caused for itself by using fossil fuels. It really is a religion. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just, you know, the, the a smiteful God is now the smiteful Mother Earth. But you went to somebody that you and I would consider an expert on this kind of stuff. You reached out to Michelle mm -hmm. Sterling from Friends of Science. And uh, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what you found out from Michelle. Well, Michelle never disappoints. She always knows her stuff. And most importantly, I think in this situation is the history of the areas that were hit the hardest. Um, if you watch the full report, Michelle talks about it. I actually didn't know at the time uh, when I had interviewed Michelle that Abbotsford used to be a lake. So naturally, it's a very uh, wet area. It was Sumas Lake. And so I did know from some research that this is the third time that that area has been hit very hard by flooding. You can see in the 90s, um, almost a exact uh, looking picture of an area in Whatcom Road there just 
almost completely submersed with the things around there. But of course, now these uh, sorts of incidents are the prime excuse for climate zealots to go ahead and just jump with that narrative. Yeah, and I think that's really the saddest part in all of this is that people's lives are being ruined, their homes are destroyed, they're losing their livestock, they're losing their buildings, they're forced to sometimes evacuate with just the clothes on their back to these evacuation Mm -hmm. shelters. And then activists are taking somebody else's misery and somebody else's suffering and boxing it up and using it to push their own agenda. Yeah, I don't know, like, and no heart too, when you, um, I think they gave an example in the report of someone basically pointing the finger at the people of Abbotsford based on them voting conservative. So basically you vote conservative and here you go, now you get what you deserve. It's like these people aren't even back in their homes yet. And uh, you're going to do that. And then you see, there's also the bit of deflection. There's been some critique about how long it took for the province to announce a state of emergency. Why didn't we get that text? You know, they've been practicing those texts. Hey, there's a warning, Um, you know, watch out. We didn't get anything like that. Um, So there's critique about, you know, how things were handled and how they could have been handled better. When you overshadow it with the climate change agenda, you lose the focus on how can we improve and keep ourselves safer next time around. You know, that's a really great point because a lot of that happens here in Alberta when we have forest fires, which happens constantly. And we have remote forest communities like Slave Lake, like Fort McMurray that have been subject to forest fires. And, uh, you know, we saw it play out in uh, California where they were also plagued with forest fires, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it had to do with environmentalist policies applied to the forest. So, and not properly managing the forest, clearing away the deadfall, something the environmentalists don't want you to do because they don't want the forest disturbed, but it actually protects forested communities by properly managing the forest. And you had a video of Ellis Ross. He's a MLA in BC, mm-hmm. Indigenous he's also, le- leader. Oh, sorry. And, yeah, yeah, no, I was going to say he's an Indigenous leader. And he pointed out that some of the flooding has to do with not properly managing the rivers either. Right. That was on Vancouver Island. And uh, in case people didn't know, Ellis Ross is also running right now for the BC leadership role. So I think there's a couple of weeks left. Debates have been going on with that. But yeah, he he pointed out that uh, it hadn't been dredged there for a while. And that's what why that particular area had been hit so hard. So um, yeah, major concerns there. I'm also having another report coming up. Um, so I'm going out today to the Langley area to talk to some of the concerns about the livestock. Was everything done that could have been done to save some animals? One of the things I noticed very early on in the mainstream media was, of course, they would talk about the animals that were left behind and then they would follow it up with, and there's going to be plenty more euthanized. There's going to be plenty more euthanized. And I kept hearing that phrase and it was like, well, is there not a plan? Um, And so stay tuned for that report. But you know, we cannot just have tunnel vision with these types of things and just say, hey, it's climate change. We need new policies. Um, that's what Jagmeet Singh is doing. I believe they are calling a sort of an emergency debate. Um, yeah, I think they announced that today that they're going to call an emergency debate to discuss how we need to further along the climate change um, initiatives. And so, again, that tunnel vision really leaves, leaves us vulnerable. Well, especially when people need real tangible help today, 
um, mm-hmm. to deal with flooding. They're looking at the, these big macro issues that I really don't think as Canadians, we can affect in any meaningful way anyway. I mean, BC, you guys have had the, a carbon tax for a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they tell me that if we have a carbon tax, we're not going to have extreme weather events, but here we are. And as Michelle Sterling rightly points out, this is weather, this is weather yeah. and weather happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you guys in Alberta, didn't you have a, a lot of flooding in around 2013 or something like that too, right? So yeah, we did hit pretty hard. We yeah. did. Calgary was flooded and um, we were led to believe that it was climate change, even though one of the towns that flooded was named High River, indicating that the river <laughs> is, exactly. is high from time to time. Um, yeah. What are you hearing um, from on the ground? Because you are in BC uh, mm-hmm. about the best ways that people like me out here in Alberta, how can we help if we feel con- compelled to do that? Well, it was really heartwarming how many people came together and very quickly. I've heard of anything from high schools, even the pro-freedom protesters were filling up trucks with things and, and getting things to the people. So there are lots of different avenues, even if you go on a Facebook group and, and look up your area. Uh, people, just regular people have put together groups where you can go and put your needs and then the people in that community will bring you those needs. So that's really uh, fun. I am hearing that the animals need food. And so maybe that's something that's being missed. We, we think of the people and that's great. Um, and there seems to be abundance of avenues for that. Um, but also if you, for some reason, have the ability to feed the animals, that might be something looking into. Um, some of the places like Merritt, the people are starting to have a plan to come back, which is good. And I believe the government has put together a... Um, disaster financial aid system and that's set up as well so you can go there and apply and I guess let them know for now what you know your damages are and things like that so there are different avenues really cool um and I was kind of like is this for real but there was some local pilots that came together and uh, we're taking people to and from Hope to Chilliwack back and forth and just dedicating their time to do that so that's you know it it's really good to see how people come together and how resilient farmers are in uh, these situations. You know, they just, um, you know, when the going gets tough, they just get tougher. So, well, please be sure to ask today when you're investigating how best um, we can support the farmers and the animals if there's any um, needs that the mm-hmm. farmers need there because, you know, we've got a prairie full of farmers that are willing to help. Yeah. Drea, thanks so much for um, your uh, careful coverage of this story. You looked at it from all aspects, including the human cost when you went to the evacuation center. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you'll stay with it till the very end. Thanks so much for having me. Bye, everyone. Well, there you have it. That's Drea Humphrey, our BC-based reporter, bringing you the other side of the story of the floods in British Columbia and how we can help in ways that don't require the government getting in the middle of it. Stay with us more up next after the break. Letters, letters, letters. You know what? We get your letters all day long in the form of notes, emails, messages, comments, Twitter messages. And really I appreciate them all because more often than not, your notes to us are quite thoughtful. And even the ones that aren't like those from our belligerent haters, well, I like knowing I robbed them of a few minutes of their day that they could have been doing something 
else. And maybe they would have been tormenting someone else. So instead, they take the time to write to me and I spare the other people the abuse from these folks. Anyway, not to dwell on those kind of people, let's look at one of the comments someone left on one of our most recent reports over on the censorship platform of YouTube. And this is why we won't abandon YouTube, because there are some smart people commenting over there on Adam's exclusive interview with Alberta Environment Minister Jason Nixon about Suzuki's outrageous comments. Tim Kulakan writes, I used to revere Suzuki for his work 30 years ago. The Nature of Things was a program I watched religiously. He was informative and sincere, or so I thought. When he became more of an activist is when I stopped following him. It could be the case that what he said was conveyed poorly, just like Don Cherry's slip of the tongue using the words, those people. Maybe Suzuki meant to say that climate activists are frustrated enough that they may take aggressive actions like blowing up pipelines. While Cherry's words were clearly fumbled, Suzuki had no problem uttering what he said. Suzuki's words are far more volatile and direct than what some had perceived Cherry's words to mean. But what of the outcome of their utterances? This is such a great point. Don Cherry was chastised almost immediately for what he said. He was forced out of a long and lucrative career as Canada's hockey celebrity coach. The woke mob swarmed him, canceling his presence in the spotlight, all for fumbling what he said. As far as Suzuki is concerned, well, we will have to see what comes of the woke environmentalist prince. What he said did not seem to be fumbled or awkward for him to say. If that is the case, he should be canceled as expeditiously as Cherry was, if not tried for inciting terrorism. Now, I don't know if they're going to try him for inciting terrorism, and I don't even know if they're going to cancel him. But what I do know is that nothing Suzuki is saying is remotely out of line with his general comments for about the last half a century. He's even called humans maggots in the past. Just take a listen to this. One thing that I've gotten off on him lately is that basically you know i study fruit flies and i suddenly realized that basically we're all fruit flies like you hatch out as a maggot and a maggot can now crawl around it's got two dimensions and it can ingest food at its will and it defecates all over the environment and some other smaller maggots can even eat your defecation and get some nourishment out of it and the bigger you get, the more people you can, or more maggots you can crush with your weight. Yeah, I mean, most people in the world are content to stay as first or second level maggots. And they establish their own little area and they crawl around there and that's fine. And the, the guys that become 10th level maggots are really big wheels. Anyway, the point is David Suzuki has always been like this. He's always spoken like this publicly. He's always looked at humanity like this. It's revolting. But before, the mainstream media had complete and total control of the narrative. They protected him. Not so much anymore. Now, before I go, since I'm filling in for Ezra and I'm in charge of the show, I would be absolutely remiss not to plug my own book that I wrote in 2018 about David Suzuki. It's called The Case Against David Suzuki, an Unauthorized Biography, and it details all the misdeeds all of them, 
of CBC's favorite fruit fly geneticist. The book catalogs all the things you definitely would have heard about if Suzuki were a conservative. I wrote the book back in 2018 because at the time, the University of Alberta was set to give David Suzuki an honorary degree, all while the oil patch that has been so generous to the University of Alberta was basically on its knees because of the bad policies that Suzuki advocates. So I rushed the book out to ruin his big day, and I did, and it became a national bestseller. So thanks again to everybody who bought the book the first time around. If you'd like your copy, it's really easy. Just head on over to suzukibook.com and nab one as an early Christmas present to yourself. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to our team in Toronto HQ for turning this mismatch of video clips that I sent in into a workable show for our subscribers. Thanks to the boss for trusting me in the big chair. I think Ezra's back hosting the show tomorrow. And as the big cheese loves to say, Keep fighting for freedom.